This is The Adam Ritz Show, a public affairs talk show touching on community, health, foundations, and more. The Adam Ritz Show is underwritten by Vibonomics, an audio out-of-home advertising marketplace and audio experience company. Info at Vibonomics.com. And now, from the Vibonomics studios, please welcome your public affairs radio host, Adam Ritz. Here we go. We are on the air. My name is Adam Ritz and Jay Baker joining me on the telephone. Hi, Jay. How's it going? Oh, it is going great. I am ready for another exciting adventure in the world of public affairs, the, the public <laughs> affairs and the common good. Yes. Well, I uh, have a story here I want to start with uh, that happened this week. Um, uh, it's I guess we could file this under um, uh, for the good of the community. Uh, anytime you get a world record, I mean, you gotta you gotta mention it, right? Uh, there oh, was sure. a world record set in uh, Tokyo uh, for the most people with the same name gathered in the same place. So you have to. The rules are you have to have the same first and last name, and you have to be in the same room for at least five minutes. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> and the previous record before this week was 164 people. And you know what? I screwed up. I should have asked you what. how many people do you think have the same name and were in the same room for five minutes. I, I think 164 is, is low. Yeah, it seems low. Now, it has to be the same first and last name? Yes. So. Oh, and, okay. Because, that, yeah, that makes it more difficult because, you know, name combinations are very interesting. So I, I think you're you're right about that. 64 seems low, but in some ways, that's a pretty good number. Well, it's 164 was the previous oh, record. okay. And if you just think of it, uh, here's how I, I kind of thought of it. Jay Baker. I mean, that's a great radio name, but I would bet there are a thousand, thousands of Jay Bakers in this country. And I think, oh, I think so. I think on any given day in New York City, you could go to uh, the Empire State Building, and just in that one building alone, there could be 50 to 100 Jay Bakers. <laughs> yes. Well, and then that's why I'm always happy, you know, if somebody says, hey, I heard this thing, and I always go, oh, that was another Jay Baker you heard that about. Yeah, yeah, that, that wasn't, wasn't me. me. That was a different yeah. Jay Baker. Well, the uh, the previous record, 164, Martha Stewart's were in the same place. And yes, oh, I know what you're going to ask. It is true. The Martha Stewart was there. Oh, uh, good. In fact, she's the one that sort of um, led the led the Stewarts, led the Marthas uh, to get this world record. Um, I, I don't know exactly how organic it was. I would guess that uh, somebody met her and just said, hey, my name's Martha Stewart. And somebody else said, my name's Martha Stewart, too. And she's probably said, well, we should get a bunch of Martha Stewarts together. And that's how it happened. <laughs> uh, but here's the new record. 178 people named Hirokazu Tanakas wow. gathered in Tokyo. So I, that must be a fairly common name, Hirokazu Tanaka. I've uh, always said, you know, sometimes uh, my uncle uh, Azu, I've had trouble looking him up while in Tokyo. Uh, uncle Hirokazu. commonality, yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's some Hirokazu bakers or some J Tanakas. <laughs> Uh, but on this day, it was uh, it was Hirokazu Tanaka, uh, ranging in age from three to eighty, and that gathered in a in a single location 
178 of them, and they now have the world record for the most people with the same first and last name in the same place. I, I think, I, I, again, I think we could go to the Empire State Building today and find 179 John Smiths. <laughs> yeah, I mean, select a name and then just work from there. But see, you raise a great point because not only do they all have to have the same name, they have to physically be there. They have to, yeah, they have to be in the same room. Because you can reach out and say, well, look, uh, John Smith, uh, you need to be in this room at this time. And, you know, you and I both know it's difficult to get people together unless you serve snacks. <laughs> I mean, you, you got you know. You're right. You know, at the very least, the nice spring water to get everybody together, you know. If you gave away enough prizes, you could get anybody to change their name to anything you want. <laughs> All right, it's public affairs time. Uh, Jay Baker's with us. He's always got some great content. We are uh, about halfway through November, and uh, last week we touched on John Oates with his famous 1970s mustache that he's growing back in honor of men's health. Uh, what else is happening in the world of public affairs, Jay? Well, you know, we talked about it, and it does, it seems somewhat counterintuitive. When you change your clocks, it alters so many different things in your life, and there are subtle effects on your health and well-being. Well, we, there is a new study out that suggests that nearly half of American adults are sleep-deprived, and we've talked about sleep deprivation and some of the effects it might have on your health. This makes sense, but they tie it to something that you don't tend to think about. And I'd love to ask you if you think this is a factor in your life, Adam. The difference between your weekly, hey, I'm a working guy schedule and your weekend, hey, I've got two days to do whatever I want, guy, that those two don't line up as well. And it can lead to sleep deprivation. My weekends are mimic my weekdays as far as uh, my bedtime and when I get up in the morning. So uh, I am not one of these, uh, I would say so the it normal, doesn't change you. It does not change. I, I would guess the normal American, you know, Monday through Friday has to get up between 5 and 6 a.m. You know, the rat race, the commute, they're home at uh, 5 or 6 p.m. and they're in bed and asleep by 10. And then on the weekends, they stay up later and they get up later. And uh, I am—I'm uh, not in that boat. I—I uh, I go to bed about midnight and get up about eight thirty every day. Oh, see, so that's good. So your weekend and weekday schedule are very similar. Very similar. And that's usually not the case for all Americans. Now, mine is pretty much the same seven days a week because of our wonderful pet animal that we've adopted from this uh, shelter. Uh, we just go by her schedule. Yeah, well, yeah. That, this is when we go to bed, and this is when we wake up. You and know, so, so, for example, what time did you get up today because of your lovely pet? Uh, about 7 a.m. And so we tend to go to bed about uh, 9 to 9.30 and wake up about 7 a.m. And, and that tends to be a Monday through Friday thing or a Monday through Sunday thing. And I never gave it much thought, but it is interesting. I think uh, prior to owning the pet, we were very different on the weekends. We'd stay up till, oh, and I'm sure this will make our audience gasp, you know, almost midnight. <laughs> you know, I, I think 19, uh, 1978, Jay Baker, would be making fun of you for just telling the world that you go to bed at <laughs> 9 o'clock at night. 
I think the 1978 Jay Baker was just getting going about midnight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think your lifestyle in the late seventies is why you go to bed at nine o'clock at night now. Yeah, my lifestyle in the late 70s, early 80s is why I've now committed to doing your show as often as I can to atone for the <laughs> lack of social engagement and involvement and lack of health habits altogether. The, this so, is your penance. Yes, giving back. Absolutely. They still recommend that for optimal health that you get about seven hours a night. And this prompted them also when they were doing this research to do a study on napping. And they said that about 33% of remote workers take a nap during the day. Now, when they get to that 33%, it's not every day for everyone, but that, you know, you might be more inclined to nap if you are a remote worker. I would, uh, I would do that. If I, if I worked at home the way we did, I I absolutely would. Well, I did. I took a nap. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, sleep deprivation and uh, the effect of daylight savings time and moving the clock. I did hear this week that uh, the average American takes about 66 hours for their, I guess, sleep schedule to get back to normal yes. after the clocks after the clocks change. Uh, it's like the tiniest amount of jet lag you could get. Just changing that yes. clock one hour sort of messes you up for about a 66-hour period. And then on the 67th hour, it's like it never happened. Yeah, well, I've said that to a lot of people, and they just look at you like you're crazy. We also, too, if you if this moon affects your sleep, and I've got a couple of buddies who the moon, full moon, will really knock them out of their sleep. And I don't know if they're werewolves or just what their problem is. But the moon has an effect sometimes on people's sleep. And shortly after we went back to standard time, you probably heard there were a couple of very big lunar events, one right. of which was the, you know, blood red moon lunar eclipse thing. And uh, so that affected a lot of people. And you're not inaccurate about that. The, uh, you know, I think uh, Bruce Blackman, the lead singer of Starbuck, is a werewolf. Um, ah. Yeah, I heard that recently. And uh, I think his he's very hairy chested. And I think he's half halfway to the werewolf. Before he even looks at the moon, before he goes full werewolf and sings his uh, 1976 hit, Moonlight Feels Right. How about that for some music history? (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. That's such a great song. I knew that was going to be a great song the second I heard it. Because sadly, I was old enough to actually play that on a radio station. Sadly. And now you go go to bed at 9 o'clock. Now you and Bruce Blackman go to bed at 9 (laughs) o'clock. Everything I learned about werewolves, I learned from Moonlight Feels Right and Werewolves of London by Warren Zevon, the Mm -hmm. great song. So 11% of people uh, that are remote workers nap every day. So that's kind of a a higher number than you might expect. 74% took a nap at least once a week or more. Uh, most uh, reported that they took a nap that was about 30 to 40 minutes long. So your your nap doesn't need to be this big involved thing. In fact, uh, if you could get, if you can grab 40 minutes of sleep, it might do you good if, if a nap works for you. Not everybody uh, does well with a nap. I think if, uh, if surveyed just remote workers, 11% are saying they take a nap. I think 89% are lying. Well, no, it's it's 11% nap every day that are remote workers. So the ones that identify that, oh, yeah, I nap, 
11% of those that say I nap, they say every day. And, you know, that's what I'm saying about every day. That's a, that's a person that really likes their nap. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's part of their lifestyle at this point. You know, I get up every day at 5 a.m. and immediately take a three-and-a-half-hour nap. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you said that because, yeah, I've gotten to a, an interesting stage in my life where if I can just get through the night, and when I say get through the night, that could be anywhere from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. I'm like so happy, you know, <laughs> so I know what you mean. Uh, anyway, we know there's a long list of what happens if you do have sleep problems, and I think everyone is very aware of that. Our concern, obviously, doing this show is that you don't suffer health concerns from your lack of sleep. And believe it or not, uh, an organization as big as our American government decided that uh, they would like to have daylight savings time year-round. The uh, U.S. Senate actually voted for that, but it never got through the House of Representatives. And, you know, we've always talked about daylight savings time. Adam, you're a big fan because you enjoy the ability to take a nice long walk after dinner if you're so Mm -hmm. inclined or hit a few golf balls or whatever you like to do. Daylight savings time seems to fit in everyone's wheelhouse, uh, and and that still may be an idea that we play around with, but uh, believe it or not, medical studies say that standard time is the best time for your optimal health. So the way the day is right now, though you may not like the fact that it gets dark pretty early in the afternoons, that actually is a more optimal time for your internal rhythm. I just hate when the sun sets at, at oh. 5.30 in the afternoon. It's just... Uh... Guys, it's, it's, it's just such a bummer. It is a yeah. bummer. It is. And, you know, uh, we've talked about and we'll do a show on, you know, seasonal affective disorder. People really miss that daylight. And as you said, you work all day and it seems unfair that as you drive home, the sun is setting. I, today, for example, I wanted to get home. We've got some nice temperatures. I wanted to get home. Uh, we are recording this show and I wanted to get home and rake the leaves. And, you know, I'm not going to get home till after 530. I'm not raking the leaves in the dark. No. Uh, so Nor that's now you. I have to do it on, on over the weekend when uh, when I should be laying on my couch watching football. That's right. That is what uh, the human body was engineered to do is that's lay right. on a couch. And, and, and your body is fits either one of two clocks, as we've always said, the NCAA clock, which means you spend all of Saturday – and then the NFL clock, which most of Sunday, at least with the NFL clock, you might get a thing or two done in between football games. Yeah. But it, with the NCAA clock, forget about it. You're on the couch all day, all night. It's funny you say, you know, you might get a few things done on Sunday because I do not have the Sunday ticket for that very reason. Uh, I don't want to watch, I don't want to have access to every game because the game I'm watching will probably be a blowout or boring, and if I have the ability to change the channel to go watch the best of the remaining games, I, I won't leave the couch. Nothing oh, will no. get done. So no. you know, this, this season, uh, the team I cheer for is, uh, is not very good. So usually by halftime, I give up, <laughs> I turn the TV off, and then I get some yard work done. See, you've tapped into uh, your favorite team, should be what we call the mediocre teams, so that way, by halftime, as you said, I've given up. 
Well, it's one of the reasons I'm uh, so productive. I get a lot done because the teams I cheer for, I turn the game off by halftime. Yeah, isn't it funny that you and I live in a part of the country where the teams are just so-so. It's still enjoyable. You can still tailgate. You can still root for them. Plenty of college tradition, plenty of NFL tradition, but the teams aren't that great, kids. Uh, it'll, so, you know, <laughs> it'll get better. It'll, be, it'll get better. It will. Positive That's thinking. what they always say. This is a great event, and this is one that I think a lot of people miss unless you're into the car world, but it's called the Pebble Beach Concours de Excellence, and it is a top-flight car show. So if you have – oh, there's a couple of different – uh, like Motor Trend and cars uh, on your cable system where you might be able to catch some coverage of this. It's definitely worth a look up on YouTube. But what's interesting about this is, yes, on one level, it's uh, unobtainable cars in a beautiful location. But interestingly enough, this year, they raised $2.8 million for charity. So it's turned into... They, you know, they said, hey, while we're being pretentious, while we're showing these cars that nobody can afford, <laughs> while we're going to show you an event that probably gets very limited coverage, you have to actually look it up to get the coverage. We're going to raise uh, – that's almost, uh, you know, an unbelievable amount of money for charity. Staggering amount in a, in a one-day uh, event. Maybe, you know, maybe it's leading up to the event you know, with sponsors and donations. Yeah, I and- think it's over, it's over like a 10-day time period. Uh, I once had a, an associate who has uh, since passed away actually uh, helped restore a car that was displayed in this car show. And that car was worth just a little bit over $2 million. Now, he oh. didn't own it. He helped restore it. But that shows you, although that's totally out of touch, it's like, hey, Adam, did you ever want an antique car? Why, sure. You know, I've always wanted a, you know, a late model Chevy or something. Like, no, no, this is a car from France and it costs $2 million. It's like, no, I don't think I'll participate in that hobby. I mean, I I wouldn't even want to look at a car worth $2 million for fear of accidentally scratching it just by looking at it. (laughs) Just looking at it. It was from France? Do you remember the the style or the Uh, I think it was uh, a Peugeot. Peugeot. Uh, It was from France, and it was a 1950s-era car, and it was like one of the first like open touring cars that Peugeot had ever built. And this gentleman was particularly good at fabricating things. He worked for IndyCar teams for a number of years. So his friend said, Hey, I love your help because, you know, as you probably know, if you're restoring a fifties era Peugeot, you just don't go down to O'Reilly auto parts and get a new fender, you know? So, yeah, you can't you can't get the um, the alternator at uh, at Napa no. for a 1958 no. <laughs> Peugeot. Uh, yeah, can you imagine? Uh, I'll stay on hold while you look for that part. Thank you. Uh, but they have helped more than 90 uh, local nonprofits, and they've raised 35 million dollars since 1950. So I think that that's pretty cool. That is great. Now, here's a great story, Adam. You know, uh, oftentimes this happens. Uh, some uh, lovely uh, woman or guy has the good luck to live past 100, and then they celebrate that birthday nationally. They used to, remember on the Today Show, they'd, uh, you know, happy birthday to Mary Smith, and she just celebrated her 103rd birthday and stuff. I mean, they used to really go crazy on the morning shows oh, yeah, talking that about was, these uh, great uh, morning shows. 
Willard no, Scott. Willard I Scott. Think. Yeah, I was going to say Willard. Uh, and he, the yeah, weatherman. The, and it was brought to you by Smuckers, and they'd put Smuckers, your name on yeah. the side of the jar and, and tell you tell the world how old you were. Yeah, my That's grandma I, passed away at age 94, and her goal her entire life was to get on the ah, Smuckers jar. So she was six Smuckers years short. Star. Darn it. Yeah, I, that's why I still use Smuckers to this day and the slight chance it may help me live longer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this uh, wonderful woman named Mary Flip uh, just celebrated her 101st birthday on November 2nd. She lived through the Great Depression and 18 U.S. presidents. And given how, uh, <laughs> how stressful the politics of today have become, just living through 18 presidents alone no would, kidding. Would, would shorten the life of most people. But uh, they asked Mary, what, this is the part I always love. They go, what is uh, you know, your secret to a long life? And she answered simply enough, tequila was her... <laughs> No, I don't think she still does shots, but she certainly loves tequila. That is, uh, that's fairly common. I feel like every time there's a 100-year-old milestone birthday, their secret has something to do with uh, with an alcoholic beverage or or making love. And yes. I don't know if that's just like a, a an inside joke within the 100-year-old citizens that just say, hey, no matter what they ask. Just tell them that, that you that you do a shot of tequila every day and still make love, and that's how you get to or, be a hundred. Yeah, or you know, if you and I, you know, that seems unlikely at this point because of the abuses we heaped upon ourselves in the eighties. But uh, you know, if I lived to be a hundred, I would you know tell them something that was just you know off the charts, like you know, not tequila. Go, oh no, Jägermeister in large quantities each and every day. Yeah, if that were true. Uh, Jay, you might live to be 300 years old. Yeah, about a half gallon uh, of Jägermeister, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just went to a 100-year-old birthday party myself. Uh, Melissa's oh, cool. great aunt turned 100, and we drove down to uh, uh, Clarksville, Tennessee to attend the party, and, and she is in fantastic shape. Uh, it was it was really inspiring. And Jay, I'll tell you, she went to bed at 9.05, so she uh. even outruns you. Yeah, on, she's on up later bedtime. than me. She's what I call a night owl. <laughs> <laughs> you can't party with her, Jay. She, she no, party you I, under the bus. What do they always say? I can't hang. She is a. She's what I call a night owl. Too funny. <laughs> and I love that you your uh, your take on the whole Willard Scott <laughs> reference is that you you just drink Smucker's jam because you think it's yes. going to get you to a hundred. I eat eat about a half jar a day. I feel it's, it's, it can only help. It, it can't hurt. No, you kidding me? Smuckers, man, it's good stuff. I'm telling you. Hey, this is a cool story. A uh, 12 year old girl, uh, her uh, grandfather contracted a contact contracted con contracted, contracted prostate cancer and uh, was successfully treated. And she became so inspired by her grandfather uh, living through all that, that she pledged to walk 3K every day for a year to help prostate cancer in the United Kingdom. That is, uh, I mean, that adds up. That's some, yeah, it does. Those are some kilometers adding up there. 
yeah, she started on November 8th, 2021, just completed her journey, and she brought in more than $10,000 for prostate cancer in the United Kingdom. So good for her. That, that is a great story, uh, and congratulations to her and, and all the young people that um, that find it in their heart uh, important enough to do something like that. A lot of young people do that. I, th- I love that story. And, you know, we've always talked about the fact that it's kind of cool when celebs do something big and then they raise some money. I didn't know if you saw this, but Ashton Kutcher recently ran the New York City Marathon. And this was his very first uh, 26.2 mile race. He raised money to benefit uh, his personal charity, Thorn, which combats the sexual abuse of children around the globe. And uh, Ashton actually finished the race in a time of 3.54. So he finished in just a little bit under four hours. I uh, actually have uh, a a friend uh, who ran in that race. Uh, You know her, Jess. She uh, works here at the radio station. And uh, she runs at least a half marathon every year, maybe a marathon uh, every other year. And she has been trying to run the New York City Marathon uh, for about the last eight years, and there yeah, is a lottery, and she entered the lottery and was picked. So she was one of the 50,000 people that went to uh, New York recently to run in the marathon, which, by the way, had record heat. The high was like 76 yes. degrees. And they normally, say it was the warmest one in n- like 30 years Normally, or it's, yeah. it's, you know, 30, 40, 50 degree tops. Uh, it was 76, 77 degrees. And we were joking before she went because she brought up that Ashton Kutcher was going to be in the race. And I said, you may finish this race in two hours if you are running your heart out (laughs) trying to catch up to Ashton. This is your one chance to meet the guy and get a picture with him. Uh, I wonder how many young ladies were running the New York City Marathon with their heads on a swivel just looking for Ashton Kutcher. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, you know, we talked about that celebrity star power. Uh, he raised more than a million dollars on just that one day. It was donated by 1,450 people. And uh, you can visit his website, which wow. is called Ashton Runs. I'm writing this down. I'm going to put this on our website, ashtonruns.com. And uh, if you didn't remember that, you can you can find that link through our website, adamritzshow.com. Now, Jay, if you are Ashton Did, uh, Kutcher— Jess, did Jess survive her oh, run? Because, yeah. you know, we've always talked about it. It's pretty grueling. Oh, yeah. She- uh, and I'm always surprised. You know, a lot of the big city marathons are run on Saturday, which gives you a recovery day. But the nature of the New York City Marathon is, you know, the city, the obviously the most populous city in the United States, difficult to shut down the main route. Uh, so they have to run it on a Sunday. She did great. She, uh, I think she beat her time. She did finish. She um, uh, got back uh, a day late. She took a day recovery. And you can't even tell that she, oh, good. she ran 26.2 miles. I did a marathon a couple of them, uh, 20 plus years ago. And it took me a week after each of them just to be able to walk straight and sit down yes. without somebody going, what is wrong with him? So yeah. you, you end up walking like Wilford Brimley, you know, did, for, uh, for a week. She did fantastic. Um, well, good. Did, I did ask her, I said, with the heat, you know, with that temperature, at what mile mark did you feel hot? Like 10 miles, 11 miles? She said on mile two, she was ready to die. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, traditionally uh, it, in marathons is, uh, as you said, starting line temperature might be in the 30s or 40s. So you wear some clothes that'll keep you warm for the first few miles and then you sort of shed those. Mm-hmm. My guess is the shed occurred like almost immediately. Yeah. Uh, if anybody was wearing additional clothing at the start of the race. So if you're as famous as Ashton Kutcher and you're running the New York City Marathon, do you wear a disguise? Do you wear a beard, a big wig? That's a good question. Uh, I know that'd be uncomfortable, especially with that heat they had. Um, it's hard to drink water through the out of the Dixie cup when you're when you've got the disguise on. But I, I don't know. Do you hire security? Where do you find five guys yeah. to run around you that can keep up with you for twenty six point two miles? The security guys yeah, I know can't a, can't run a mile. <laughs> you raise a great point. Yeah. yeah here's a kind of a cool note. Uh, over the holidays, the Who's Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey will be participating in a charity Christmas carol event. And you might say to yourself, charity Christmas carol event? I haven't heard about those here in the United States. Well, no, this one's going to happen in London, in Chelsea. And uh, they have created a performance uh, for different uh, different celebrities to come forward and perform Christmas carols. Now, as you might imagine, if you're Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey, you're able to sing and perform much better than, let's say, Pat, than, let's say Pat Sajak. You know what I mean? Now, didn't I see Roger Daltrey's name on a uh, jar of Smucker's jelly recently? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. He's not the youngest of rock stars, uh, so resist. you never know. All right, Jay Baker, uh, interesting as always. So fantastic to have you on the program. Uh, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in as well. You can listen to this show again if you want or any of our previous broadcast in podcast form on our website, adamritzshow.com. Ritz is spelled like uh, the crackers, R-I-T-Z, adamritzshow.com. Thanks for joining us. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live in studio at the Vibonomics Worldwide Headquarters. Learn more about the Vibonomics Audio Out-of-Home Marketplace at vibonomics.com. For information on this broadcast, including past on-demand episodes, interview submissions, and syndication contacts, visit adamritzshow.com.